Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 75. A lot of people with ADHD, I can say it for myself, but I can also say it for a lot of my patients. They have colorful dating histories. <laughs> people that maybe like you weren't using your best judgment or things like that, or you've been in relationships and maybe you're not totally proud of. I have people that kind of as they progress through life, they've seen a pattern of those kind of things and they feel like, okay, that is going to be my destiny. That's what's going to happen. So I might as well settle since I've never found anything different. I think once you have a better understanding of your brain and because of that, you can have more ownership and accountability, which I think directly impacts Mm self-worth. I think you can change your trajectory with who you end up with. And I remember when I was younger, I was getting out of medical school and I told my parents and I was like, I don't think I want to like find a relationship. It doesn't suit me. It's been a nightmare. <laughs> like, And I'm happy by myself. It's not that important for me because I just was honestly so fatigued by it. And I mm. picked all the wrong people. I couldn't see a path moving forward. Yeah. So if you're in that situation where you feel like I should either just settle or things aren't going to get better, you absolutely have the right to be treated appropriately. And you have the right to leave if you are not. Because I think if you work on yourself Mm. and complete yourself, you'll have room to find someone who will complement that. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD, or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. I am so excited today because we're going to dig into ADHD and relationships. This is something we talk about across the board is how we as ADHDers tend to struggle with relationships. And so I really wanted to talk to Dr. Sasha about relationships. You know, first of all, what does it mean to be in a relationship and how can we manage relationships? Because again, that's what we struggle with. And then also, how can we continue to grow it? How can we keep that relationship? Because that's one of the things that I know that I struggle with is that longevity. So Dr. Sasha, welcome. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I am so excited for you to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about you. Yeah. Okay. Well, my name is Dr. Sasha Hanani. I'm a board certified psychiatrist and I'm an ADHD clinical specialist. And I think that stems from the fact that I have ADHD. So it comes pretty easily that I know this territory pretty well. And as of maybe like a year and a half ago, I started getting more on social media, doing more advocacy on um, multiple platforms on Instagram and on on TikTok and and uh, different places, and so I am burgeoning more into media and talking more about ADHD and love talking about ADHD and relationships. That is awesome. So yeah. tell me before we dive in deep, what were you diagnosed with? Which type? So when I was diagnosed at age nine, and I was diagnosed with ADHD combined type. Although I would say that my present mom. <laughs> I would say my presentation right now is more inattentive, but it's not. I'm, there's still very, I'm going to interrupt you. It's just going to happen. 
<laughs> that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah. All right. So let's dive in. So I really want to get into the relationship piece. So first of all, can you define what is relationship? So relationship is such a broad term, right? Relationship is a partnership or a collaboration between two people, potentially more people that require some sort of implicit vulnerabilities and allowing yourself to build a foundation with another person. So it can be a platonic relationship, like between friends and things like that. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be a relationship between parent and child. So there, it's just how you relate to another person. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So yes. for ADHDers, even though I see it quite a bit in our community, do people with ADHD struggle with relationships? Absolutely. I think, and you know, Yakini, I think this is such a, such an, uh, a topic that isn't discussed enough, even though it, it clearly impacts every facet of our life. But with ADHD, I think people are so hyper fixated on just the focus component, focus, focus, focus. And they don't focus on the thing they don't focus on. They don't, they don't kind of accentuate the other areas that ADHD impacts and relationships is such a tremendous part of that. So yeah, I see it all the time and I see it almost consistently in a hundred percent of people with ADHD, I would say. And then why, why do you think that happens? I think it's multifaceted. I think there are a lot of different reasons why relationship, and when I'm talking about relationships in this case, because there's so many different relationships to delve into, I'll talk about more romantic relationships, but within the context of romantic relationships, I mean, you're stemming from one person getting to know another person. And if the person with ADHD is, you know, coming from a place of low self-esteem because of years and years of negative messages from the ADHD. If the person is coming from a place of disorganization or, you know, variable attention based on interest, then it's hard to relay those information back to the partner showing that you're interested and that you're attentive to the process because you don't show up on time or you forget to text back or you do all these other things that are, you know, if you know about ADHD, it's clearly from a lack of executive function, which your partner thinks you're being neglectful and thoughtless and things like that. It could also be from uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, where it's a concept where you have this, the person with ADHD has this incredible fear of real or perceived rejection. So if you're in a vulnerable situation and you're concerned about this in the first place, and you know, that's a touchy topic for people without this phenomenon. Now imagine that amplified and feeling it physically. I mean, it's, it's a minefield. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. You know, it, as you're talking, I'm just remembering kind of both situations where I became very distant from people because I didn't want to, con- I didn't want to build it because I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be surprised when it ended, right? It was just really hard for me to do that. And then sometimes it's like, I want to hold on to that relationship so tight. It also makes them run away. Do you see that quite a bit where they can be very obsessive with a person or just say, you know, let's let's keep our distance? Well, let's talk about that from a neurobiological phenomenon. What you're describing is spot on. That does happen. So what happens is that in the early parts of a relationship, or possibly later in the relationship, depending on how the relationship goes, there's a significant amount of dopamine being released when you are happy. And like, not, there is nothing more interesting than the the beginning stages of dating. There's nothing because you're, you're getting this, this flood of attention. You're exploring new feelings. You're happy around this person. And it's all new and exciting. So people chase that feeling. So then, you know, sometimes you can find yourself 
gravitating and staying in a relationship where maybe you've ignored some red flags, but because you're like, I remember how good this felt. So you just stick around. And then other times you remember how good this feels, but then when it becomes stable and things are smooth sailing, then you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm not getting that same rush anymore. It's kind of boring. I should probably just dip. <laughs> and so you leave. And it really, it's not, it's not a function of the relationship being bad in any sort of capacity. It's just understimulating at this point. And your brain thinks that there's something wrong. And then most of the time, the secondary thing is that you convince yourself, like, if I really liked them, I'd be feeling differently. But it's it's just that it's changing. Hmm. So how do you communicate that? I mean, how do you let your partner know that? This is what, this is who you are, what you're going through. Like, how do you really connect to them? Cause that's one thing in a relationship that is a struggle is communication, right. And really being open about who you are, especially a person like me who had ADHD and did not know it and didn't realize that a lot of what I did was tied to ADHD. Like, how do you communicate that? Like, how do you share? So I think you're a hundred percent right. Um, communication is so vital, um, because it changes how the other person perceives your behaviors in the first place. If there is a neurobiological understanding, they're no longer thinking that this is coming from a volitional place. It's not, it's like, oh, this was unintentional versus she hates me. (laughs) This is why she's doing it. So I I think when I have, I'm coming from someone who has been in (laughs) numerous and just like, just very immature and like, just transient relationships also just, just very short lived. I think because of my own ADHD and boredom spectrum kind of things, I'm like, okay, bye. I think it took a while to understand how to communicate what I was going through. And when I finally had success with that, the, what, what I did is I had to base it from what my own understanding of my patterns is. So I don't think you're going to have any success if you don't understand what's going on. But if you understand what's going on, the way that I described it, that I had success in doing so is I said, my brain moves so fast. It moves so blindingly fast. And a lot of the times when I'm getting input and things like that, it's hard for me to organize that information because it's coming at me from all sides. So sometimes when it looks like I'm not paying attention, or sometimes when it seems like I forget small details, or sometimes when you tell me, please, God, do not put the dishes by the sink. Just put them in the dishwasher. (laughs) What is so hard? It's just like, I'm listening to you and I understand and I want it to change. (laughs) I have like, I'm on the phone, I'm putting away groceries and I'm trying not to trip over the cat all at the same time. And so like, that's never going to change. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. So explaining that your brain is going fast, it's hard to organize the information. So sometimes when I have difficulty or you feel like I'm not fully engaged in the situation, or you feel like I'm not retaining suggestions to help, it's not on purpose. It's not because I don't think it's valid. I want to do those things, but it's not even on my radar. It's not something I'm cognizant of. And so some of the times I've had people who have been absolutely wonderful, wonderful people in my life who have, you know, before I even understood what was truly happening in my brain, they would want to help me. They would be like, well, why don't you just do this? And I would be like spitting absolute fire. I was like, don't like, you think I've never thought of that? (laughs) You think I've never heard of a dishwasher? I have, I know what that is. Like I, I can't execute and make this happen on a consistent basis. So I think with my husband, I think one of the most wonderful things about him 
is that now that he does have that better understanding of what's happening in my brain, because I've gotten better at articulating what's happening in my brain, he also understands how to course correct for me without making me feel judged or ashamed of what I'm doing or things like that. And I think that's, that's a very welcome and different thing, Mm -hmm. different than what I've had in any other relationship. No, I love that. So obviously we want to be able to teach our children the right way to grow up in a relationship. So how can we as parents, whether we are single or married, how can we, how do I say it? How can we represent a good, healthy relationship for our children? I would say by talking. I would say by talking. I think one of the most incredible things about being a mom and seeing, so I have a one-year-old, one and a half-year-old, and I have a three and a half year old. <laughs> and so like seeing these like little blobs turn into little people, like and seeing that neural development and seeing those connections form and seeing them actually piece together pieces of the world, the way that people learn, whether they're a kid or an adult is by talking and, and exploring and expressing themselves. So like just opening up dialogue with your kids or, or like the other day I asked my three and a half year old and I I asked her, I'm like, what is love? Mm. And she looked at me like straight in the face. And she said, it's when two hearts touch. And I was like, so moved. And I'm pretty sure she probably got it from a book. I just haven't found the book that it came from, but like, I was just, I was so shocked because I was like, I didn't expect an answer. And I don't even know how to fully answer that. But I, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm so crying. It's so cute. It was so cute and so wonderful. And so I think kids are far more aware of that. And even if, you know, you can raise your child to have a beautiful, happy, sustained relationship, even if you're not in one yourself, because of your relational skills towards your child and how you communicate towards them and the love that you show them, because that's kind of their blueprint. They don't necessarily have to see it in real time. They just know the feeling that they're looking for. I love that. And I really think that, um, especially with me being divorced, I really think that having that communication, like you said, with my ex-partner, just really just being open, being honest, you know, we are on the same page in how we raise the children. We are on the same page in how we interact with the children. So they don't see two people fighting, right? I just yeah. refuse to be those two people. And so you can see the, how do I say this? It's almost like you can see the calmness on that part of, they don't have to worry about their parents, right? No. And they don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, how are they going to act in front of me when she goes, drops, drops me off at the house, right? They don't have to worry about that. And I think that is so, so important is to Absolutely. be able to deal with conflict behind the scenes and <laughs> act like adults. <laughs> Yeah, process it. Yeah. I think that is important because it's providing a secure attachment base yeah. that they feel secure within their environments so that they feel that safety about kind of asking questions about relationships and building and kind of seeing what mutual respect, because what I tell people is like, I don't, a parent is a parent. Your job is a parent. It, it's not if you're married, if you're single, your job is a parent. Right. So if you, within the context, I've had a lot of patients, I've had a lot of peers 
who are married and are in miserable situations. And they say, I want to stay together for the children. And I'm like, but what are you modeling for them? You're modeling a life full of conflict. You're modeling a maladaptive behaviors. You're modeling there. You're growing up and your kid is expecting that this level of emotional chaos is appropriate and normal. And instead, if it's easier to kind of separate those two realms and then co-parent and live more peacefully, then, then that should be, your job should be your a parent. That's right. what your job is. You built a little person. Here at them. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. So how can we maintain? So again, we've built this relationship. It's new to us. How can we keep it as long? I mean, without it being toxic, without it being unhealthy, yeah. how can we build and manage and continue long-term relationships? You know, I think that a lot of that stems from two things. Number one, most important, which we've talked about a thousand times before, is the communication part. Learning how to talk with your partner. And admittedly, and I will tell you this, it took me a long time to figure that out. So my husband and I, when I was in uh, residency, we were doing long distance. And I think that actually for me, which is bizarre, that helped me because I couldn't get into those normal habits where I would like grab onto a person and then stick. I would just, just get this immediate rush of dopamine, annoy them to death and then like separate. And that was my normal pattern. (laughs) So I think the long distance helped me because I physically could not do that. But it also, when we were finally together, I felt like, especially in that first year of marriage, it was hard for us to communicate and it was hard for us to resolve conflict. And every time, like with ADHD, every time I felt he was bringing up, which, you know, in retrospect would be very valid points. I felt the personal attack and I would want to escape. My first go-to was like, run away, go away, go go somewhere safe, Mm -hmm. go somewhere else. And it was never, he has never given me any reason to feel like he's not a safe place. But I think because we perceive that rejection so strongly that we're, I I will literally do anything to avoid this feeling. (laughs) So I will just go hang out somewhere else. So it was hard to resolve conflict if you're constantly running away. Mm. But one of the things that has helped me is, and this is what I would say is, I know everybody's a little bit different, but this has been an incredibly helpful thing for me to maintain relationship in times of extreme conflict. I know I'm not articulate. What happens is I get scared in the moment. I don't talk. I clam up. And then five minutes later, I process what's said. And then I just chase him around the house. And I'm like, and another thing, <laughs> and another thing. And it's, it's just like, I'm awful. It's just like, I get overwhelmed in that moment emotionally. And I can't kind of process through that. So what I need to do is when I feel myself kind of escalating in that moment, all I do is I'm like, my job is just to listen. I don't need to come up with an answer. I don't need to do anything. And then I take some time and then I actually have to write my response and I draft it over and over again. And I wait till I'm fully articulate. And then finally, sometimes when I'm doing that in that process, I'm like, Oh, oh, I'm actually totally off base here. I am wrong. And then sometimes I'm like, I am absolutely right. And I'm also mad about another thing. So I'm going to work that in. So it's just like (laughs) learning how to communicate because I think that I am not an effective communicator by nature. So I have to figure out hacks around that. And the second thing I think is really important is to understand the patterns of growth within a relationship. Not everything is going to give you that incredible amount of dopamine that, that not only like the initial parts of a relationship, but fighting also gives you a huge rush of dopamine because it's exciting. 
like not a super healthy way to get dopamine, but that is, you get these kind of dopamine rushes. So sometimes when people are understimulated, they might find themselves in patterns of kind of picking small fights. Yeah. So, I mean, that might be just like, uh, if you recognize kind of what your patterns are and you recognize this isn't a, this isn't, there's nothing wrong with this relationship. It's steady. It's safe. It's calm. It's not that it's wrong or that it's boring and that I have to leave. And I think once you understand those normal ebbs and flows and you understand the difference between being understimulated because it's not that you're not in love and it's not that you're, this is the wrong person. It's that things are fine. They're stable. They're safe. And so I think if you can understand that, you also can, it alleviates some of that self-doubt. And when you start getting on that rabbit wheel, hamster wheel, Mm -hmm. rabbit wheel. What is it? Hamster wheel. Hamster wheel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just saw a picture of the rabbit. <laughs> Something, some small yeah. rodent wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is, you know, is this real, right? Like, is the relationship really real? And you touched on that, but is it real? And I see other people go through that same thing, especially our ADHD audience. It's just like, is this relationship real? I see it with my children, right? When, as my children are growing up, they're in this age, right? Mine are going to be 11 and 13. So they're in this age where relationships are really important and clicks start, right? Mm -hmm. And um, like for my daughter, it's, she sometimes, is this person really my friend or are they not my friend? And I remember that going, you know, growing up, right? So that's one of the things that I want to make sure that I do is as a parent, continue to teach them how precious relationships are. And at the same time, make sure they're not staying in toxic ones because she's also a holder, right? She, for a long time, she was a holder where she would have all these wonderful and nice people that wanted to be around her, but there was this one person, you know, that was mean and she wanted to make them like her, right? She doesn't do that so much anymore, but that was for a long time. So one of the things I wanted to ask is, how do you help your children? So you did talk about the communication, but how do you help your children walk away from unhealthy relationships? Mm, that's such a good question. So it, it really depends on the age, but assuming, you know, for if they're young enough, usually a parent can just kind of intervene. But if they're, if they're old enough to have like your kids ages, 11 and 13, a little bit more free agency, and they are, are kind of exploring more relationships on their own. And these difficult, you know, toxic relationships, whether they're in friendships or relationships, I think, honestly, one important thing is providing a neutral sounding board. Because what, what happens is that it's really important that they have a place to articulate what they're feeling without feeling like they're being judged. Because, you know, they're at this pivotal age where in puberty, they... <laughs> And this is normal. There's normal boundary pushing. So they they have been raised within a structure of a parent. And so if their parent is telling them something, they are going to push against that boundary. So you might be like, don't hang out with this person. They'd be like, that's exactly what I want to do. So I think that there's some normal boundary pushing, but if you can provide a safe place that they can kind of talk it out and... Mm. And explore and figure out, like, actually, 
does this relationship suit me? That's nice. So the way that there's a whole um, psychological approach called psychodynamic analysis, where it is you let the patient kind of lead to explore more what's happening within them. Um, And it's kind of like taking tenets of that, where you are, instead of being like, I think this person is trash. Like instead, you're just like, tell me about this person. What do you like about this person? What's, What's interesting about them? What's not so interesting about them? Like, have you noticed how they treated other people? So like letting them guide and do things like that and explore those kind of things instead of, don't you see how toxic that is? Don't you see? Because they're going to come to those same realizations. Now, if they don't, because I've had, I remember as a 13 year old, I was so adherent to friends that my parents were convinced were a bad influence. They kind of were. Um, and <laughs> they kind of were. Uh, now as a parent, I could see that. But like, you know, even if my mom was like, probably not the best judgment on this kid's part, I would be so quick to defend them and like not want to let them go. So if it's things like that, I, I honestly think that just you can't force your child into anything. You can just kind of give them the skill sets and tool sets. Now, obviously, if it's a dangerous situation or something like that, or it's directly impacting your kid, you intervene as a parent, you shut it down. But if it's not, and if it's like one of these peripheral kind of things where you feel like this person is, is might not be the best kind of person to be around, it might be one of those a learning opportunities for your kid and how to talk to your kid about like how they can make those assessments of what is a person I want to be around and what is a person I should avoid. Okay. That makes sense. So is there anything else in that you can share with the parents, anything that we may have missed talking about ADHD and relationships, any last minute thoughts? Well, actually one last thing. I mean, since we've talked a lot about like the, the relationships between parents, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I would say, this applies for parents and children, a lot of people with ADHD, I can say it for myself, but I can also say it for a lot of my patients, they have colorful dating histories. (laughs) People that maybe like you weren't using your best judgment or things like that, or you've been in relationships that maybe you're not totally proud of. I have people that kind of, as they progress through life, they've seen a pattern of those kind of things and they feel like, okay, that is going to be my destiny. That's what's going to happen. So I might as well settle since I've never found anything different. I think once you have a better understanding of your brain and because of that, you can have more ownership and accountability, which I think directly impacts Mm self-worth. I think you can change your trajectory with who you end up with. And I remember when I was younger, I was getting out of medical school and I told my parents and I was like, I don't think I want to like find a relationship. It doesn't suit me. It's been a nightmare. <laughs> like, And I'm happy by myself. It's not that important for me because I just was honestly so fatigued by it. And I mm. picked all the wrong people. I couldn't see a path moving forward. Yeah. So if you're in that situation where you feel like I should either just settle or things aren't going to get better, you absolutely have the right to be treated appropriately. And you have the right to leave if you are not. Because I think if you work on yourself mm. and complete yourself, you'll have room to find someone who will complement that. 
Yeah. And, and I can see that even with friendships, right? So a very, very long time, I would run with the wrong people and it would always be intense. There will always be conflict. It was just a constant thing. And one day I woke up and just said, I can't do this anymore. I just, (laughs) I can't it to your point. Yeah, it is. It's exhausting. And I remember walking away and I remember a year after that, just feeling so much better, just so much better. So whether it is romantic or just friendships, either way, sometimes as an adult, you just have to let it go. (laughs) You have to let it go. And I feel like people, the thought about letting that kind of uh, those people out of your life is so scary because it's, it's providing a hole or you feel like they're going to be angry or you feel like it's going to change the social fabric of your circle, which is tricky. But honestly, I mean, you only live for so long. And if this person is occupying such a negative space in your brain, like why, why do you want to do like, there have been people that I've kept in my life that every time I saw them pop up on my phone, I would immediately get a headache. Like I would be like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to answer this. I don't want to talk to you. And then, then like, after a while, I got to the point where I'm like, this is dumb. Why, why am I doing this? Why am I torturing myself that I immediately have a headache and possibly a bit of a stomach ache? Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So is there any, any type of resources out there that people can look at talking about ADHD and relationships? You know, I really love everything that understood.org is doing. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it because I think they, and they don't just focus on ADHD. It's just learning and thinking differences in general as more of an umbrella, but I think they come from an academic based spot. So the, the, what they're talking about is based in literature. It's evidence-based it's science-based. And I, what I like about it is that it's logistical. Like it's not just they're barfing out information. It's just like, if you are having to, like, for example, I just saw a series about how to approach parent teacher conferences. Mm. And they were like, these are conversation starters about how to do that, which is like such a nice thing. instead Because like you, there, are, there are lots of resources where you can get that information, but the logistical thing of like, how do I even start this? How do I do this? How do I talk to someone like this? They have a lot of those resources, which I, I love. Awesome. And if they have any questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? So I am on um, social media. I'm on Instagram and I'm on TikTok as the psych doctor and the doctor is D-O-C-T-O-R-M-D, which I is kind of long now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> I now probably, that you speak it out loud, <laughs> you're so funny. Um, yeah, but the psych doctor MD, and then I have a website, drhamdanimd.com. Those are some good resources that on my social media channel. So it's more advocacy stuff. And it's, I mean, I'd like to call it advocacy. It's a lot of like ridiculous ADHD lip syncing content. So you like, there's a lot of that also. So, but there's, there's some good stuff in there intermixed. Yeah, absolutely. You got to check out her channels because they are there. Some of them are so funny. Some of them are just good. I just, I enjoy it. I really, really do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Sasha. It was a pleasure. Yes. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So everyone that concludes another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. All right, everyone have a wonderful and blessed day. Take care. Bye. Bye, Sasha. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.